Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi. Hello. Happy fall and welcome to season eight of Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. If you've been wondering where we've been and what we've been doing all summer, you can head on over to our Patreon where for $5 a month, you get two bonus episodes all year long. And now that we've gotten fun little plug out of the way, let's do a little fall vibe check. Emily, how's your vibe? How's your fall? I know it's only like, I don't know, conservatively three days into fall, but and I have not been able to wear a sweater because it's been too hot. But yes, let's 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 pretend you bought a, a scented candle like we're, we're doing well. <laughs> Our let's, season let's talk, is here. Let's talk about the good and the bad. So the good is I uh, am starting a job. Yay! After several months of unemployment. So uh, good fall on that front. We're very happy about that. That would be your rose of fall. That's fall my rose. rose. <laughs> my bud is uh, potential um, ideas for uh, for cooking and then a recent uh, consistency with the workout habit. So I'm very happy with those things. Uh, so all of those are growing and starting to thrive. My thorn would be the purchase of a Bath and Body Works pumpkin clove scented candle, which I purchased in a state of, I've just returned a bunch of things around a Bath and Body Works. Let me go into a Bath and Body Works for the first time in 10 years and see what's up. And I would like to have all of the listeners know, though, that she was by herself and that I would not have let this happen had I been right. present. Friends don't let friends. Um, well, so and in also, this- I wouldn't want to subject myself to going in there either. I, let's just say I'm grateful for masks because I was wearing one, of course. And I think that's probably why I didn't get the full, you know, the full width of it all, right? And mm-hmm. the, as soon as I got home, I was trying to manifest fall, you guys, because in California, especially the Bay Area, that does not happen until at least oh October. Oh, my God. The East Coast are being like, oh, there's no fall. I so know. Look outside. A tree is turning. The tree inside my building is fully turning colors. It's fine. It's, it's fall. It's 
it, thank, thanks to my East Coast upbringing and Nora Ephron, I have been told, you know, taught to believe in a, a very specific version of fall, which is crunchy leaves um, and apple cider donuts. Like, so anyway, that day we I burned my that candle. all will happen. You're just going to be sweating a lot. That's all. I don't really see. I'm not hearing the problem at all, Emily. I don't understand <laughs> what you're complaining about. I tried burning my candle for about two hours on Thursday. And uh, you didn't tell me that. Two hours. It was maybe maybe longer than that, and it just it, it's it's a very very intense scent. I for like I didn't forget, but I had sincerely hoped <gasps> that Bath and Body Works fragrance fa- fragrances had not you know had been diluted a little over the years, and that is not the case, audience. Um, it was a lot for me, and no I no wonder yeah. your apartment smelled so strongly. You didn't say two hours, Jesus Christ! Of course, I know. I burned it a little last night, and I found that if it's like, why? I thought you learned your lesson. I just want to get my seventeen dollars worth, Marco. You should just derive joy from the fact that it's a three wick candle. That's pretty good for Bath and Body Works. It I is call it good. Bed, Bath and Beyond again. I mean, Bed Bath and Body Works is a very. That and beyond the body work. (laughs) Body shop. Like there were just a lot of stores. Yeah, lots of body in the shop name. Very odd. Extremely peculiar. (laughs) Uh, But but I'd love to know, Margo, how how are you doing? How's your fall vibe? (laughs) My fall vibe's a fucking mess, dude. You know this. I know. My fall vibe (laughs) is chaos, as always, as it has been since um, end of August. It's like, how on earth? earth is saturday october 1st like i will be joining tens of thousands of americans who wake up on saturday and go how the fuck is it october 1st but yeah not really like obviously you know knock on wood so blessed to doing doing just fine just trucking along i should be so lucky to not really be super cognizant of the days because i am busy with all sorts of shit (laughs) So I feel happy about that. Like you said, getting into like a better routine has been very yeah. helpful. But also yes. like, again, uh, it's the only thing helping me keep track of the days along with my birth control. It's like, it's Wednesday, you stupid bitch. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. I forgot. So there's that. Um, but October, I mean, I'm looking forward to October. It is, you know, arguably my favorite month of the year because it, it really is like – nicer during the day but like not like super like oh my god that heat wave like 100 degree plus hot like Mm -mm. it is like a crisp you know 75 out and then at night it's like really chilly and I can start having red wine again Mm -hmm. and also my wedding anniversary is in October and I have a lot of like fun annual trips planned with my girlfriends throughout October as well which is always a joy and I'm looking forward to dressing up for Halloween despite the fact that I do not know what I'm doing I mean, now we have a jungle, you and I have a jungle themed party that we have to like. (laughs) Well, we also, I got, this is a whole sidebar, but I need to have a separate sidebar conversation with a friend of ours who is trying to throw a surprise party for someone that we both know um, that same day. And so I want to let the person that's trying to throw the surprise party know that um, uh, a lot of people are probably going to go to this Halloween party if you don't get your shit together quick and possibly try to push them to do it on Friday instead of Saturday. Because I want to go to Tom and Kellen's Halloween party, too. Like, I missed it last year for a wedding, and I was quite upset about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
and you know I, why. And you I know, know why. Well, my my ex had a thing that night, and that's why I had to miss it. But I'm very excited about this jungle yes, theme. Yes. I mean, I'm probably not going to participate in that theme because I will probably do something quirkier that I will end up having to explain all night long. But that is neither here nor there. I will fill you in on the surprise birthday shit after. But yes, so October, quite busy. Excited to be back. Um, I I know that we pushed this out a little bit longer, but I promise. It was worth the wait. Or maybe it's not and you completely disagree. And, you know, that's fine. We can agree to disagree, even though I am always right. So in the spirit of, well, maybe I'll back it up. As we have said, since the beginning of the year, there has been so much going on, like constantly. And there has been no shortage of controversy. I mean, most recently, you know, we've had Adam Levine's cheating scandal. There, mm -hmm. We've talked ad nauseum on our Patreon about the Don't Worry Darling stuff. And we were on Don't uh, Ready to be Petty. You can go listen to that. We have been, you know, awash in uh, frivolous controversy and we've been very happy about it for the last six plus months yes but first they came for abercrombie with that documentary that came out on netflix which again on our patreon we talked about it great documentary then they mm -hmm. came for victoria's secret in a docuseries on hulu which we also talked on our patreon and was not as good as the abercrombie one but you know still interesting and all emily and i want to know after watching these two docuseries that were framed like a fucking dateline murder was when the fuck are we going to get the other controversial brands of the early aughts? Like, do we have to do all the work around here? I guess so. Because yes. to kick off season eight, we are going to be talking about American Apparel and Urban Outfitters. Emily, what is your experience with these brands in your youth? Oh, Margo. So uh, very, very drawn to Urban Outfitters. Um, I remember going to the Georgetown lo location in D.C. because that was the only one when I was younger that existed. It was like a big deal. Like, go take the metro to Georgetown or to D.C., walk to Georgetown because there's no metro stop in Georgetown because white people were scared in the 70s. And uh, <laughs> it's true. You can look it up. No, I know. Yes. There's a great book. Um, I will link it in the show notes, but it's called like uh, build, how to build a city. And it's just all about like how white people were scared in the 70s. They created the suburbs and just created the sort of isolation. It's very, very interesting. It goes into redlining and everything. But yes, I'm aware of scared white people, especially on the East Coast. So it was a very big deal when I'd get to go to the Serpent Outfitters, buy one of the many graphic t-shirts I bought that was overpriced on sale, but still overpriced, and get really excited to buy all sorts of tchotchkes for my home or for my room at the time, because home, like my parents' home, like, you know, um, and then- <laughs> The room inside of my parents' home. <laughs> the room inside of my parents' home. And uh, and very much shopped there through college in, uh, into early 20s. And then I'd say American Apparel a little bit less, but definitely college had a few things here and there, but definitely more drawn to Urban Outfitters. How about you? I would say um, so Urban came first and mm -hmm. that had like a huge impact because I feel like it filled this um, void left behind by Delia's, to be honest. Yes. And because at a certain point, I wouldn't say you age out of Delia's, but Delia's had kind of been like on the decline and then Urban kind of came in to like fill that like tween, t like late teen, early 20s stuff. And so there were several Urban Outfitters throughout like, you know, Burbank and every just all over the place. And there was a giant one in downtown Burbank that we loved that our we had friends that worked there off and on. So we would use yes. their discounts and stuff. But very much like you, like saved up money to buy a $40 t-shirt. And I, I 
I have to say, like, I'm a bit of like an emotional hoarder. So uh, I definitely tend to like hang on to clothes and like mostly clothes that have like sentimental value that I have a very hard time getting rid of. And I had this shirt, I shit you not, up until maybe a year ago. And I'm not saying it fit me the best, but it like was on me. And it was... (laughs) And it was Rat Fink on like a motorcycle, like oh flipping you I think I bought that like maybe junior, senior year of high school and like got in so much trouble at school for wearing it because it was a, a rat thing flipping you off. But I like treasured that shirt. Oh. Um, and for every special occasion from like 15 to 22 and maybe even afterwards, because I'm pretty sure in my mid 20s, I randomly bought a dress for a wedding that Sean and I went to at the very last minute from Urban. And I held yeah. on to that for like a wild long time as well. And I definitely shopped there through my early 20s too. So they opened like you, they they opened more locations in the DC area like when I was later on in high school, including one at the mall, like right next to my parents' house. So I went like all the time. But to your point, I actually think I own jeans from there. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. A, a dress, a dress be- or two up until 20s, yeah. BLVD jeans. I had a bunch yes, of them. Me well, at too. least like me one too. or two. They had like really good like skinny jeans. And so they did. And they did have like a distressed pair that I wore with my studded belt from Hot Topic because I was a full-blown cliche. But even my um even my outfit for my sweet 16 was like this mod two-piece thing that I got from urban and you know up until i mean i was i was buying stuff for like my first uh my first room outside of my mom's house like in college and yeah honestly even up until we just moved we bought a bunch of furniture from urban outfitters i'm margo as i'm staring at my boxes under my bed right now like there are some like linens i still have from urban outfitters from college like my the bedding i moved into a house with my friends and i needed stuff for like a full bed and i bought like on sale bedding from there like i yeah even to this day i i stepped into an urban outfitters the same day i bought a bath and body works candle we can talk about that later but uh that was uh, a crisis and you need an intervention asap <laughs> i mean you've came, you came over the coffee table the yeah. side table my bedside lamp and that boob chair outside all urban outfitters yeah. so they all make like decent stuff i just like can't buy any of the, i mean not can't but like i just don't buy any of the clothes anymore because i am aware of how old i am and what that looks like although you know when i was working in the city more often i would take my little depressed walks over to union square and just roam around random stores and i would always stop in that urban just to like feel young again and like try on a pair of like mary janes with with american apparel it was a slightly more fraught topic because like they were sort of like over before they began for me personally. Um, and my worst, worst, best experience at American Apparel was I I think it was before it must have been like the summer between junior, senior year. And I was going to France to visit family. And I had an absolute meltdown begging my mom to buy me like a whatever $30 plain white shirt from Urban Outfit or from Urban Outfitters from American Apparel. I just had to have it. Yeah. I was like absolutely out of my mind. And to this day, I still wear that shirt to sleep in. So that is a testament to how quality. <laughs> how good the quality of American apparel is. I had like this, the typical hoodie because then, you know, 2006 yeah. or whatever rolls around and I am working in retail and I work on a retail street in Santa Monica that like shares space with American apparel. And then you get your little discount for being like a, a worker on the street. That does not sound great, but you know what I mean? And so I I got the little hoodie. I got the little booty shorts. 
And a fun little fact is that at one point I had these like lame like gold leggings and I didn't of want, course oh, were they leggings? it's American no, no, no. sorry it was a bodysuit and I didn't want it anymore and so I washed it and was like I'm gonna send it to Marianne and so I sent it to her and she gets the package but it's like ripped open and somebody has stolen the American apparel <laughs> bodysuit that I was like you don't even know where that's fucking been you're just it stealing bodysuits they sent her, the, but what I love the most is that they like shittily taped it back up and kept the card in there, but they just stole the fucking bodysuit. So but like, who that was my experience with American Apparel. It was a lot of like but, walking in, trying things yes. on, never fully Same. committing. Oh, actually, my favorite thing that I ever got from American Apparel was like the sluttiest dress I ever owned in my life that I wore out clubbing all of the time. And it was slutty because, or at least I thought it was slutty because you couldn't wear underwear with it because it was just a super, super tight um, oh yeah, like a like body, body con. con dress. Yeah, and it's yeah. very much like reminiscent of like what Kim does with Skims. Like she has those yeah. like those longer dresses that are like super form fitting and just I don't know, it's like sucks you all in. Anyway, that was like my dress. Like if I wore that going out, like it was fucking on. So um, I love that dress. But then I, you know they just sort of like fell off a cliff. They fell off a cliff. I had like one of those dresses that you could wear six different ways from. American oh my god. <laughs> And I know you're not a housewife fan, but there was a real housewife <laughs> on Dallas and she created a dress called the Linfinity dress because her name was Oh the, no. Her name was Leanne. And it it really reminded me of the dress you're about to describe because she's like, you can wear it a hundred different ways. And it's absolutely deranged because you're like, I wouldn't even wear it 50 of the ways that you're describing. Let's just I'll put it to you this way. It very quickly became a beach cover-up dress. Like mm. because <laughs> there is not Turns out, like, though you can wear it six different ways, you don't want to wear it more than maybe two ways. Like, But should you? (laughs) Should you is exactly right. That is the question you should ask yourself as you purchase this item of clothing. But I had that dress. I had a handful of shirts. And I will say this, like, because um, American Apparel, like, you didn't even have to buy t-shirts at their store because a lot of bands used their t-shirts so i had without knowing or or intentionally buying it a lot of american apparel t-shirts because i bought you know a t-shirt at x band concert yeah or even i mean when people put a little bit more care into like their free uh work shirts or whatever even if you were doing like there was a senior event that we did in high school where all of the shirts were printed on american apparel shirts and they were just so they were the most comfortable shirt and i really love their ringer tees and my favorite my last favorite memory of american apparel was this is probably the last time i sort of had any affiliation by the cal campus there used to be an american apparel store and on cal day which is like a day where you know people that had gotten who have gotten accepted into cal they all show up with their parents and there are tons of like little events going on and most of the time it's like a really nice it's like right before spring break it's like a really nice weather day and marianne happened to be up it was like exceptionally hot and us and all of our roommates were like, let's all go swimming, except Marion didn't bring a bathing suit. So we stopped at American Apparel and she dropped like $80 on some bathing suit she wore maybe two times. And that to me is American Apparel encapsulated. There it is. Yeah. I you can't describe it any other way. Like it is just uh, the most impractical, like for, for having one or two things that are incredibly practical and it's t-shirts, everything else it sold was incredibly impractical. Like it's just... <laughs> 
Like, I'm just thinking about someone stealing this bodysuit of yours. And I'm thinking, like, of all items of clothing that I would steal from someone, um, I'm thinking bodysuit is very low with, like, underwear because of the right? uh, proximity to certain body parts. Uh, you don't know how much someone sweats. Like, I don't want to, you know, like. I wore that shit to fucking beta breakers. I would not be stealing that. <laughs> I'm no, just saying. No. But whatever. I hope whoever stole it is very happy with my gold lame bodysuit. God bless. <laughs> so I think in the grand scheme of timelines sake that I think Urban Outfitters kind of starts first or as we were calling it in texts, uh, dumb succession. So yes. if you want to start us off with just truly some of the weirdest people you're ever going to hear about. It just gets kind of crazy because a company that was founded as originally called Free People, which is where the name comes from. Which is still and in business. I just bought a pair of pants from them. Right. I've like I I have a one of my favorite turtleneck chunky knit sweaters, black, oversized, love it. I bought on sale from Free People like two or three years ago and I wear it all the time in the winter. It is my conference call go to in cold months. Anyway, um so it starts out really as like a hippie venture, but as you find out over the years, not so hippie anymore. Um, um, so Urban Outfitters has been around since 1917, <laughs> when Richard Hain founded a store called Free People, which sounds familiar, in West Philadelphia with his then-wife, Judy Wicks, his college roommate, Scott Belair, and $5,000. Wicks and Hain would divorce a year later, but Belair remained a part of the business. And I realize, like, we're talking about West Philadelphia and a man whose last name is Belair. Um, <laughs> unintentional. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's not like you were like, I'm going to go in this Wikipedia and create I, chaos. I mean, it's, it's maybe it's an origin story for like the conservative prince of Philadelphia. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to try to make this a joke. Uh, don't, so don't bring Will Smith into this. He's already had a hard <laughs> enough year. All right. He, he truly has. So Richard Hain, who goes by Dick, then 23. Wow, had apt. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we call him the biz on the nose. On the nose. <laughs> So he, at 23, had graduated a year prior from Lehigh University. And Margo, can you guess what uh, Hain got a degree in? Is it communications? I'll give you a hint. It it has to do with the Urban Outfitter uh, brand, uh, like, sets of brands. Uh, economy? So, <laughs> so Urban Outfitters owns anthropology oh, and... Right. Oh, no. He got a degree in anthropology? Correct. What? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Always the creepiest creeps. I mean, apparently everything gets referenced in his business endeavors. So uh, speaking of college, the first store location was across the street from the University of Pennsylvania, and it was actually more of a secondhand store than like what it is today. It sold clothing and home stuff and like tchotchkes, basically what it sells now, but really more affordable for a college student's budget. Because as you all know, like now Urban Outfitters, if you're like a college student, you're not shopping like full price. You are uh, hitting the sales racks immediately. Um <laughs> The store is incredibly successful and eventually opens a second location. And in 1976, they changed their name from Free People to Urban Outfitters. And they incorporate as a company, which is when Hain becomes the official CEO of the company, a position he now holds um, after holding it like on and off over the years. Like they had people take care of the company at certain points and then he came back 
We'll get into the succession of it all later. Um, so Scott Belair is still a board member and has the title of director, quote unquote, but I'm not really sure how he's involved in the company. Again, very succession-y. Um, in its name shift and expansion as a company, they moved to selling their own private labels in the 1980s. And this is spearheaded by Hain's second wife, Meg Hain, who creates the lines that are sold exclusively at Urban Outfitters. So if you, like me or you, Marco, shopped a lot of Urban Outfitters at one point, you might recognize some of these names. So Bulldog, which was later stylized as BDG, Ecote, Cooperative, Anthropology, and Free People, which they resurrected in 1984 to include in that list of private labels. Uh, more on that in a bit, but in the 1990s, Urban decides to increase its retail footprint in many ways. They opened their first anthropology store in 1992 as a way to capture their female demographic who have aged out of Urban Outfitters. And in 1993, Urban Outfitters goes public with their stock sold at $18 a share. And in 1998, they expanded abroad, opening their first non-North American store in London. And that same year, Anthro debuted their first online store of all the Urban Outfitter brands. And eventually, Urban will open online in 2000. Uh, Free People gets their first standalone store in 2002. And two years later, their online store will go live. And in 2008, they launched Terrain, which is their gardening store concept. And on Valentine's Day 2011, they launched Beholden, uh, Anthropology's wedding dress store. And in 2019, they launched Newly, their clothing subscription box. And as of 2020, there are close to 250 Urban Outfitters stores globally. Um, remind me, Margo, is your dress, was your wedding dress Beholden? I know Zoe's was. It was, yeah. Oh, and cool. so was yeah. Becca's. We all shopped at Beholden for our wedding because it is like – they have great dresses. Say, it's great for the price point. And it is. Um, you only have to – it's nice because you kind of end up with like a customized dress because they only do like whatever the regular sizes are. So you can just take it to get tailored and you kind of change it however you want. And I went to a, a much higher end wedding dress store and had a way shittier well it wasn't a shitty experience but it was like not as nice of an experience as beholden so i have to say out of all of their arms it's like one of the better new ones yeah i mean my friend Susanna got her dress from there and it was gorgeous like i have a lot of friends who've gotten their dresses from beholden my sister looked there for sure like they just have a lot of great dresses um I will say like this, yeah, to your point, it's one of the lines where for how expensive anthropology is, Beholden's dresses are like relatively affordable. Exactly. Um, That's the most shocking part is like you hear anthro <laughs> and so you're like, oh, what well, is this going to be like $7,000? And you're like, oh, it's like a $500 dress. Thank God. Which, you know, when you start shopping for wedding dresses, if you don't want to buy something from like Shein or whatever, that's just sort of like that's like on the lower side. And you're like, wow, this is like not not terribly made. Crazy. <laughs> You know what's sad just now, Marco? You said Xi'an, which is like, I'm pretty sure how it's actually pronounced, but I'm so used to Bama Rush TikTok where these young 18 year olds are like, dress from Shane, that like I did not register what you were saying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not to reference another Housewife franchise in, you know, less than 20 minutes, but I was recently giving it given a tutorial because Sheree from Atlanta launched her own clothing line after 14 years. And um all of it was made from the same manufacturer in Taiwan that makes Xi'an. And so everybody was like, she by Xi'an, she by Xi'an. I was like, oh, is that how you say it? I was saying Xi'an for some reason. Oh, God. Yeah. See, I just kept saying it with a southern twang because I didn't really think that like shine. it would be pronounced. <laughs> yeah. Dress Shane. Um, but yeah, that is that is Urban Outfitters today. So we're going to go into what I've titled Why Urban Outfitters Might Deserve a Succession Spinoff. And then I'm going to go into even more controversy. Oh, incredible. 
So we mentioned Meg Hain earlier, who is uh, Dick Hain's second wife. She serves as the company's chief creative officer, and she was named co-president with her husband in 2020. So when Meg Hain was first proposed to be appointed to the board in 2013 as a response to the criticism of having an all-white male board, it was initially voted down by people because of the belief that she didn't have the qualifications. And guess what? The nepotism does not stop there because Urban Outfitters loves to keep it in the family because their board is or has been made up of, in the past, lots of people related to Dick Kane or Scott Belair, the co-founder. There's a great BuzzFeed article in 2013 written by Sapna Mahashwari about this. By the way, Sapna is one of the people interviewed in the Abercrombie and Fitch documentary, and she actually now works for the New York Times. Uh, David Hain, Dick and Meg's son, served as the COO for some time of Urban Outfitters and is now the chief technical officer of the company, as well as the head of Newly, their clothing rental service. And then at one point, Dick Hain's brother-in-law, Scott Addis, was the head of the Addis Group, which was Urban's commercial insurance broker and risk management consultant. And then some of the newer appointees since that article was published include the Haynes nephew, Aziz Hain, who served as the chief administrative officer and prior to that was the general counsel for 2015 to 2022. So his uh, CAO, I guess is what you call it, appointment is like a recent one. Wade McDevitt. What a name. Is basically behind all of Urban Outfitters real estate related endeavors, especially in like the greater Philadelphia area where they do a lot of their first concepts since that's where the headquarters are. Um, Through his namesake, McDevitt Co., Wade McDevitt is Scott Belair's brother-in-law. And it gets weirder because McDevitt's wife, Wendy McDevitt, is was at the time, at one point, the president of Terrain, and she is now the chief talent ambassador of the Urban Company. Um, So back in 2014, Urban Outfitters was going to open a lifestyle experience campus in Devon, which is a town on the mainline suburbs of Philly. And it would house several of uh, locations of their various brand stores and then some concept restaurants. And this was proposed to be built next to the Devon Horse Show Fairgrounds. And fun fact about that is that Wade McDevitt was the chair of this whole horse show. So he had a lot of interests in business being right next door to the thing that he chaired. Um, He would end up leaving the board of the horse show eventually for other reasons, apparently, but ended up building this whole shopping center thing, which is now called the Devon Yard. But the succession of this all is very delightful. All of this is to say, if you are related to uh, Scott Belair or uh, decaying, you will get a job somewhere in the leadership structure of urban corporate. It's amazing. Um, it doesn't stop there. Well, the succession of it all stops there, but the controversy just gets deeper and deeper. I like. I did a lot of research for this because it just it 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 it's amazing that. Um, This leads into the controversy portion of it all because it's a reminder of why you should not hire only people you're related to because you may not be able to see all the blind spots that your company is just like putting out there in the wild. Um, We'll get into that in a bit. But first and foremost, um, I want to point out there's a great video on the Huffington Post put together a few years ago that divulges just how different Hain is from the persona that he wants his stores to project. So you're thinking, oh, yeah, counterculture, hippy dippy, what have you. 
he is very different from the person he was who started the stores like 50 plus years ago. So I want to show both sides before we go into all that bad stuff. So he has donated a lot to various Philadelphia uh, businesses, uh, colleges, including Drexel University. He donated $5 million to launch an experiential learning initiative for students who are looking to launch creative design careers in retail or similar ventures. He also donated to other schools. And his company continues to remain committed to like the greater Philly area. They maintain their headquarters in the Navy Yard of Philadelphia, and they do a lot for the city. And Scott Belair also donated $20 million to Lehigh University to turn a former steel research lab into a satellite campus that will operate like a study abroad program. And it's called the Mountaintop Initiative. And it's basically like a study abroad program, but you're like still near campus. I don't know. It's kind of interesting, but I looked it up. It's real. It wasn't just like a thing he said and they never did. Um, so here's we get, where we get into the bad of it all of where Haynes' money has mostly gone over the years. Uh, he's donated a lot of money to Republican candidates in Pennsylvania. Sure. Most notable, of course, is that he donated over $14,000 to Rick Santorum, Jesus the former ultra-conservative Pennsylvania senator, both major homophobe and supporter of teaching intelligent design in public schools. And some of that money was donated to Santorum after he had basically compared homosexuality to bestiality. So that's really great. Um he has also donated to current Republican Senator Pat Toomey, who's also expressed homophobic views and was against the Supreme Court overturning the Defense of Marriage Act. Toomey is not seeking another term, which is why Dr. Oz is currently running for Senate in Pennsylvania against John Fetterman. And when doing my research for this episode, I went through all of Haynes' donations to see if anything came up with Dr. Oz. There's no proof for the time being, but I do wonder if like end of the year they can't they collect all of those records. And so I wonder if we'll see that he's donated to Dr. Oz's campaign. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Would not be surprised whatsoever. If we remove Richard Hayne from the equation, though, Urban Outfitters has done plenty on its own to stir up controversy. So Urban Outfitters removed a shirt a week from it hitting shelves in 2008 that said, I support same-sex marriage. And this was done after California had just passed Prop 8. Eventually, they'll try to right their wrongs by partnering with LGBTQ plus organizations to sell T-shirts that donate a portion of the proceeds. But don't worry, Urban Outfitters will find many other ways to offend other groups. Here is just a few in case you were wondering. There are enough times that they've sold offensive things that the several listicles I consulted in putting this together were written like a decade plus ago and had plenty enough information. So let's start with one of the worst, a meant-to-look vintage Kent State University Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
sweatshirt that appeared to have blood stains on it. And in case you didn't know, there was a shooting at Kent State in the 1970s and four students were killed by National Guardsmen during a Vietnam War protest on campus. So that's great. Um, what would possess you to make something like that? I, again, this is why when you are only hiring people within the Hain and Bel Air family or adjacent families, like maybe they're not going to know what's going on because most of them are white, privileged white people. Um, Ghettoopoly was another thing that they sold, which is exactly what it sounds like, a parody Monopoly game that plays on racial stereotypes. Cool. Uh, a black Henley t-shirt that was listed online as the color being Obama slash black. Urban Outfitters apologized, saying they had call- had a color called Obama blue, and the title was a mistake, which I could believe potentially, but like given how much they've shot the bed in the past, like it's just I'm so sorry. If you have something <laughs> called ghettoopoly on your shelves, I am afraid I cannot believe you when you accidentally call something black Obama. Like it's just it's not gonna be in the cards for you. I'm so sorry. It- no, agreed, agreed, agreed. They have constantly appropriated the native native indigenous cultures over the years by slapping the quote unquote Navajo label on anything that had a vibrant print. And this got so out of hand that the Navajo Nation actually sued the company in 2012, eventually settling in 2016. They sold shirts for a while that said everybody loves a insert heritage of yours girl. And someone thought that including dollar signs in the Everybody Loves a Jewish Girl t-shirt would be a oh, great idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they also sold a shirt where the front chest pocket had placed a six-pointed star on this chest pocket, which looked very similar to the star patches that Jewish oh, people Lord. were forced to wear oh, on clothes during the Holocaust. Oh, my God. And they have also sold a lot of drunk... I- the- Irish stereotype clothing for St. Yes. Patrick's Day, including T-shirts that say "I Irish I were drunk" and a trucker hat that said "Irish Yoga" with a stick figure throwing up and doing a pose they have called "downward facing up chuck." And uh, I remember they that sold- as well. <laughs> yes, yes, they sold a transphobic greeting card that featured a poem detailing Jack finding out something about Jill that I don't want to go into. And then finally, we can't even begin to scratch the surface in regards to the number of times this company has been accused of stealing designs by independent artists. It's just the limit does not exist. Um, Really, that is what I have to share about Urban Outfitters today. I could go into more of it, including the fact that they've been sued multiple times. Uh, They've had uh, many complaints from the NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, the Navajo Nation, as I mentioned earlier. And they've also had several accusations around their labor practices. So uh, in 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 all in the Urban Outfitters as a whole, you know, it's uh, not great. Not great, Bob. Yeah, they need a, a shiv to come in there and really clean all this shit up. <laughs> no more related people. They're like an unrelated yeah, to the like, family shiv. They need, they need Jerry. <laughs> they need Jerry in there. They really do. It's just, and I think what was interesting to me was like throughout this process, like several articles have been written on like the shady connections of like how everybody who works for Urban Outfitters at the, you know, high up level, not everybody, but almost is somehow related to someone who founded the company. And uh, it's very interesting. It's so gross. And it's very weird. Nep- nepotism at its finest and it's all very well, philly like old money philly in some ways like for having started a company you know without money i mean like look he is a self-made millionaire maybe even billionaire i don't know but like the 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 nepotism at all it just feels very old money well 
I mean, I think it was on Who Weekly where they talked about um, nepotism becoming like, well, how nepotism was actually like a really long-standing Google search term, but it's not like it become has become more recently about nepotism children in the entertainment industry. Yes, but. but if you go back and look through like Google's keyword search history results, nepotism has always been there. And it's really kind of more about like legacy families, whether it's yes. a legacy family that owns a car dealership, owns a big clothing brand, is yes. uh, like a political family. So like we forget that like nepotism takes many, many forms that we kind of like let slide because we don't see it. And then we kind of come after Maya Hawk for having parents that are famous. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, there's some more egregious offenses than like, I'm in Stranger Things, like, just to put yeah, a little it's perspective. True. No, you're you're absolutely right. You're hitting the nail on the head, which is that we're going after a lot of like uh second first generation nepo babies, if you will, right? Like people who have famous parents. Um, and then you have exceptions there, like the Barrymores, like you know, Drew Barrymore is part of a very famous acting but you family. You would say that that's more of like a legacy family, even just sure. um, and that's even our even our boy uh, Mankiewicz on TMC, like that. I mean, the, the Mankiewicz is huge. Yeah. Like, I mean, golden age of Hollywood family. You could even, to a lesser extent, talk about what's her face, Zoe Kazan, Zoe Kazan, related uh, to Elia Kazan, but Dakota who, Johnson, like right. every yeah, yeah. There are a couple. That we just are sort of like, oh, well, they got they got their foot in the door. And that's not not wrong, but like – There's nothing, yeah. But, you know, you want to talk about these brands that are um, kind of shaping culture, like youth culture. Exactly. And that that's a bigger problem to me. Possessed by the spirit of nepotism and like – it's very like monarchy, like we all – like very yes. like same, same children of the corn kind of stuff happening. Um, I can't yeah. say that American Apparel fares much better. Oh no! <laughs> no one might be related to each other. Well, there is one fun, one yes. funish related business, but mostly, um, you know, Dove Charney is a fucking creep. So I, I did my best to uh, not skate by what he's done, but also not dwell in it because if you know, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> So let's just start at the beginning. American Apparel was founded in 1989 by noted Canadian Dove Charney. He was born in Montreal, Quebec. His father was an architect. His mother was an artist. He is the nephew of famed art architect Moshe Sadfi, who is the great uncle of the Sadfi brothers uh, of Uncut Gems and Good Time and a couple of other things. So I find that very, very interesting that the Sadfi brothers and Dove Charney are related. I don't know. That blew my mind. I, I had so much I, that I had to text Emily. I yeah, I was surprised. And Moshe Safdie like is a very big part of like a lot of very famous buildings in Montreal were designed by him. So I knew the name because of like the '67 Expo and like going to visit Montreal when my grandparents were still alive and all that. But I had no idea that. I, and I knew Dove Charney was from Montreal. I did not realize the connection to the brothers, the architect, like all of it. First time. I wouldn't say it's necessarily nepotism, but it's one of those things where it's like, no. Oh. Okay. You were always sort of like surrounded by that kind of stuff. So he went to a very prestigious private boarding school in Connecticut. He also went to St. George's School of Montreal. And according to Charney, he was very influenced by not only his culture growing up in Montreal, but also his Jewish heritage. While he was going to high school in the States, so I'm assuming this private boarding school in Connecticut, he began importing Hanes and Fruit of the Loom t-shirts from the U.S. to his friends in Canada. And in an interview with Vice later on in life, he described smuggling the t-shirts on Amtrak trains from New York to Montreal. 
he began selling t-shirts under the American Apparel name in 1989. And in 1990, he dropped out of Tufts, borrowed $10,000 from his parents, and established American Apparel in South Carolina, with the company's focus being on crafting high-quality basics. So from the jump, it was it, it never really deviated too much from like the American Apparel that we came to see of prominence yeah. in like 2004. Over the next several years, though, he spent his time learning about manufacturing and wholesale before moving operations to Los Angeles. Around 1997, the company moved to L.A. Charney subcontracted sewing to Sam Lim's 50-worker warehouse shop under the 10 freeway in L.A., um, just east of downtown a little bit. And then months later, he became partners with Sam. In 2000, American Apparel moved to its own factory down in downtown L.A., where it continued to grow primarily as a wholesale business. So they would sell blank T-shirts to screen printers and uniform companies and fashion brands so that they could put their own stuff on it. Again, very Shein. Like, you know, we provide the blank canvas. You put yeah. your little logo on it and do whatever you want. Um, shortly thereafter, they decided to pivot a little bit more since they saw an increase in sales. Well, they saw the popularity of their T-shirts via wholesale to other brands. And they're like, well, we could fucking do this too. So they started to pivot a little bit towards direct-to-consumer businesses and started to market their products towards, quote, young metropolitan adults. The basic logo-free branding appealed to younger consumers because they were really tired of, like, the co corporate branding. I mean, you take things like two Wongs make it white with fucking Abercrombie. You take any number of racist bullshit that's happening over at Urban Outfitters. It's like, of course, you they just want, like, a nice, plain, logo-free T-shirt. They hit their popularity just at, like, a peak time in which that had become an overly saturated market, and there was a lot of backlash around that. Yeah, I definitely remember at some point in high school, I just got really tired of all the same, like, Target t-shirts with, like, whatever bullshits on it. It's like, I just want, like, a black shirt to wear with my pants. Like, I just don't – I don't need all this, like, hullabaloo all over it. So rather than compete with mass market companies like Fruit of the Loom, American Apparel flourished as a high-end niche quality product, and they had hipper designs, and they really, really capitalized on its appeal of anti-sweatshop politics because they made a big deal about how like it was all made in LA. They they paid their they paid their warehouse workers like a livable wage. I believe even in like 2001 they were paying their seamstresses like $15 an hour. I read a couple of like older pieces about them where they about American Apparel where they interviewed people that worked at the American Apparel factory talking about how much like this is the best job I've had. I actually get breaks. Like I get paid very well. I get overtime, I get sick leave, I get PTO. They were the OGs when it came to like talking about the transparency of it all. Like before you had an Everlane, before you had a lot of companies that really detailed what their practices were like, that could tell you where your t-shirt came from, like who made it and that kind of thing. It was it was a very like the first time anyone had ever done anything of, of that nature. I mean, to your point, like they really did set the blueprint. Like Everlane is very good about doing that, but also Christy Dawn, which is like a higher end dress mm -hmm. company they when you buy your dress on their website they will tell you like oh this was made by hannah and like hannah has been working for christy dawn for x amount of years and she loves reading and doing yoga and like you always get you get more of like a peek inside and then i would say that reformation is very clear and transparent yes. about how they want to be completely sustainable and green by 2025 and they send you these like quarterly updates and girlfriend collective and there's so many sustainable brands out there like to your point that are like they use that as a cornerstone of their marketing and none of that exactly. I mean, it probably would have been possible, but like American Apparel really, really laid the groundwork about like, it, we're not about sweatshops. We're about like real people and them earning a living wage. It was very much the first time, especially for a clothing brand that that had been done. And so it is interesting, like for how much American Apparel 
you'll get into the fallout and everything and how much Jeff Charney is like a terrible person. The foundations of it all were very interesting and like were one of its a kind. And I'm, I, I am glad that that began a process of a lot of other companies having that as a focal point of their business. I just think it's really difficult to say outright if he's like, I mean, he's not a good person, right? But it's hard to tell because not so much is known about him in his upbringing other than what I had just told you. Because like, I can't tell if he becomes like this creepy, weird prick because he becomes sort of like a sensation in and of himself yeah. and then gets surrounded. It becomes like the same fucking tale as old as time where you are surrounded by like, yes, people who don't tell you like it's inappropriate to do all these things. And you are so you believe so much of your own hype and you're doing so well. Like, how could I possibly fall? Like, again, people who didn't grow up playing Mario Brothers do not understand that when you get greedy, you die. Or in this case, you lose all your money, you lose all your credibility and no one wants to work with you. Well, and he came up and it's 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 interesting because I will forget what he did versus like Terry Richardson because that's mm-hmm. like, you know, the person that I immediately think of when I think of Dove Charney because similar ad campaigns, barely legal models, like very, you know, weird, like – uh, low really sexualized po- bullshit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. even in one of the older articles that I read in an interview, he even talks about how he resents being compared to Terry Richardson because they have like similar aesthetics or whatever. Right. And I will say I also conflated some Terry Richardson stuff with like what Dove Charney did. And so, I mean, this is sort of like in like we recently watched the blingering doc that's on Netflix and I genuinely in my brain had conflated a lot of different things and thought that Alexis Nyers was like way more involved than she really really was and same and I would say the same thing happens to Dove Charney like I do remember like some of these scandals coming up then I also remembered some other I associated other scandals that were Terry Richardson's all together and and that were did not belong to him and I think there was just I mean we can get it I mean I don't really get into it in my notes but like There was like a point, and this is like the point that I was partying a lot in LA. So I saw a lot of this shit firsthand where like being a fucking scumbag in an LA club was like cool. So you had Terry Richardson, you had Dove Charney, you had fucking Cobra Snake. Like Cobra Snake hit on my fucking 15 year old cousin. Like he is gross. So, but it also was one of those things where like they were all like, this was just their life and like nobody said no to them. So it's kind of the lines are very blurry and I'm not going to stand some random white guy. Like obviously not, but I guess for me, it's just hard to tell where the lines where the lines begin and end with Dove Charney because he did do such great stuff for manufacturing and local and local manufacturing and treating people who work for him with like respect and dignity, which I know doesn't sound like a big deal, but was a big deal at the time. So I just don't know like where do we how does this how do these paths diverge? I'm not right. any closer to understanding, but you know, I, you have to think that at some point, like it is deep down in there somewhere, right? Sure. But anyway, by 2001, the company had started to earn $12 million a year in sales. By 2003, Charney opened his first L.A. store in, of course, Echo Park, followed by a new one in New York and then Montreal shortly thereafter. And then within two years, the company had expanded all the way to Europe, opened 65 stores, and by 2006, there were 140 stores in total. American Apparel had become the largest t-shirt manufacturer in America. The company is known probably best for their provocative and sometimes controversial advertising campaigns, which is largely the inspiration of Dove. He shot many of the advertisements himself, which is, you know, they were not shot by Terry Richardson, and they were criticized because they featured models in very sexually provocative poses, but they were also lauded because they were really honest and they didn't have a lot of airbrushing. 
American Apparel was in charge of the design, the creation, and the print of all of their advertisements. So they had a lot of in-house control. Their print campaigns were widely considered to be some of the best in the industry. But the sexually charged nature of it also received a lot of criticism and a lot of backlash. And the images often displayed subjects who had their blemishes on full display, imperfections, asymmetrical features highlighted. And they were always kind of attached with like these little brief personal descriptions, like at the footer of the photo, if you remember that. In Helvetica, yeah. (laughs) And many of the models in American Apparel's advertising advertising was they were recruited by Charney himself or colleagues who found people on the street or they actually worked in some of the company stores themselves. Others were also selected when they sent in their photos directly to the company website, which I totally forgot that they were just soliciting people at a certain point. And I don't know payment wise what happened there. Yeah. The company at a certain point also used porn actors in some of their ads like Lauren Phoenix, Charlotte Charlotte Stokely, Sasha Gray, etc. And adult entertainment trade magazines like Adult Video News started saying that American Apparel websites was like one of the best softcore porn websites out there. (laughs) Some of the company's other ads, which featured nudity or sexual themes, have been very have been banned by various advertising authorities in not just America, but also a lot in the UK because they have a much more strict advertising guidelines than they do. Yes. So for a time, Charney was the branding strategy genius, and he would love to spotlight his workers every single time he was able to promote American Apparel's goods as a sweatshop-free environment. And in 2014, the company released a controversial ad with a topless model and the words made in Bangladesh across her chest in an effort to draw attention to the company's fair labor practices. In 2008, the company took out a series of political ads featuring the corporate logo that called the current immigration laws an apartheid system, which I remember that because everyone was like, you don't know what you're talking about. But all this is to say that he was a little bit of a marketing genius, so much so that in 2005, he was named Marketer of the Year at the LA Fashion Awards, and also that year was ranked number 308 in Inc.'s list of fastest growing U.S. companies with a three-year growth of 440% and their 2005 revenues of $211 million. By late 2006, American Apparel went through a reverse merger, which is the acquis- which is when you acquire a private company by an existing public company, so the private company can bypass all of like the bullshit about going public, and they became listed on the American Stock Exchange. They were also one of the few clothing brands that made made in the USA like a huge selling point, and that very much contributed to their 2007 bottom line, where they earned $125 million domestically just from manufacturing in America alone. Women's Wear Daily published a survey in 2007 saying that they were tracking the habits of 21 to 27 year olds who ranked American Apparel as the eighth most trusted brand ahead of H&M and Levi's. In 2007, Imp Kerr created a fake American Apparel ad campaign in New York. The stunt lasted almost a year until it was revealed that the ads were fake and actually Photoshopped mock-ups. And American Apparel ran a tribute ad on the back cover of Vice magazine showing a compilation of the fake ads that duped everybody. In 2008, Intelligence Group, they were a trend and marketing research firm, listed American Apparel as the top two trend-setting brand only behind Nike. And also in 2008, The Guardian named American Apparel Label of the Year. And from 2009 to 2014, Dove had sort of taken a back seat to all of the advertising. And the photographers that they used at the time were Henrik Pruen and David Shama. And they worked on crafting American Apparel's image and brand um, from that time period. Because we're getting really close to the fall of American Apparel. 
So in 2010, American Apparel's auditors, Deloitte and Touche, resigned after informing the company that its financial statements for 2009 may not have been reliable. The, res- the resignation led to an investigation by the SEC and the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, who have like a 99% success rate on like convictions. In April of 2011, American Apparel confirmed that they had secured, you know, almost $15 million to keep operations going by selling 15.8 million shares of common stocks at a really low price at 90 cents a share. And oh then a Canadian investor bought up all of these and they also received warrants to buy as much as 27 million additional shares. So that's a little, it's a little sketchy. <laughs> in 2014, the company reported a their peak sales of $634 million, but they also had had enough of Dove Charney's shit and had fired him. An investigation found that he had mismanaged funds and knowingly allowed an employee to pose nude for photos and then put them on the internet. And as an interim chief executive during the search for a more permanent one, the company's CFO, John Luttrell, was appointed. And the co-chairman of the company was also appointed. But Charney, through his lawyers, claimed that his ousting was illegal and demanded reinstatement. So what they ended up doing was sort of like a halfway thing where he was le- he was waging a legal ba- battle, still technically employed by American Apparel. So he was forced to be on company payroll as a consultant after he technically got fired. But while all of that was happening, Lion Capital demanded a repayment of their $10 million loan four years early on their pay on their payment plan, which, you know, a failure to repay this loan would then trigger a $50 million default with a different capital financial firm. So basically, they are fucked. They are running out of money. They're in a, this ginormous financial lawsuit with the creator of American Apparel and just not knowing how money works. <laughs> But by December of 2014, they fully fired Dove and then replaced him with C- with a former CEO of BCBG Max's area, Paula Schneider. But by 2015, American Apparel was really struggling to avoid bankruptcy. And as the company needed to repay a debt of over $15 million due the following month, it could not find the funds and prepared a report of dismal financial reports in the coming weeks. They warned investors in August and that they would not have enough cash to sustain operations for the next year, which raised, quote, substantial doubt that we may that we may be able to continue as a growing concern. The firm filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on October 5th, 2015. But in January of 2016, the company had rejected a $300 million takeover by Hagen Capital Group and Silver Creek, two investment firms that were actually just aligned with Dove Charney. So they were like, we, we can't take that money if you have this man associated with you guys. So then the following year, American Apparel was acquired at auction for $88 million by Canadian sportswear company Gildan Activewear. Gildan Activewear bought American Apparel, but not its physical stores. But let's let's circle back to Dove Charney being a, a fucking creep. So for the longest time, he was just sort of referred to as an unconventional CEO, which is sort of just like a nice uh. way of saying that he's like gross and very inappropriate at best. But this all kind of became extremely publicly known in 2004 when Claudine Coe interviewed him for Jade Magazine, and he jerked it in front of her multiple times. You can still find this article. I it forgot is, about this article. This article, reading it, I was like taken uh. to like the doctor's office in 2004 and being fully uncomfortable reading this in a Jade I mean, Magazine. Jesus. And this is like before we knew everything about Louis C.K. Like, there's just so much about this that is, ugh. Just the casualness of jerking it in front of her and then her being like, oh, this isn't even the first time. Like, this is just the first time you're writing it in this article. And anyway, you can still find this article on Claudine Coe's website, which is where I read it. So the article's publication brought extensive press to Charney, who later responded that he believed that the acts had been done consensually and in private outside of the article's bounds, which I was like, bitch, 
If the girl's got a fucking like, the what, record do you, jerk what do you off? think? What do you think off is going to happen? There is no off the record jerking it, you fucking freak. What are you talking about? <laughs> but in a follow up article, because the, it was such a sensation, she had a follow up article and co wrote, "quote Who was really exploited? We both were. American Apparel got press, and I got one hell of a story out of it, and that's it. That's how she sort of summed up her experience, which I think is sort of like putting on a little bit of a brave face." Um, yeah. And maybe you don't even understand the extent of which you've been traumatized by having that happen to you at work and have your position of power ultimately demeaned by a man who has more power than you technically. I mean, this is a pre-Me Too article. And I think that mm-hmm. like with the discourse we've since had, when did she publish, you know, her her follow-up? Because that's it was like right after. Yeah. So and I think like now I wonder if we talk to her today, if she would see this dynamic completely differently. And I would hope so. I think there's just been enough discourse now to understand. I think a lot of women who were just like, oh, it was just the times like are now able to be like, oh, no, I was completely taken advantage of. And this is pretty fucked up. Well, if you remember, like the Jane tone is sort of like we're a badass and like we yeah. don't need feminism and blah, uh, uh. And I feel like you can tell by the by the brevity of the follow up article that she was sort of forced to put a nice little bow on it and backtrack because maybe Dove Charney had threatened some sort of legal action or who knows what. Yeah. And it, it felt very much like I'm being forced against my will to write this follow-up article. And, you know, that is what it is. She had to, she had to meet back up with him again, like, which happens, Ugh. you know, when you've been sexually but- assaulted. You have to sometimes face your assaulter afterwards and you don't really have a choice or it doesn't feel like you have a choice and you, you make the choice of keeping your job. And, you know, I'm not trying to judge someone in 2004 by 2022 standards. I can't even imagine no. if that happened to me at work. Like, look. I still hate the dude who tried to undermine me in a meeting fucking 10 years ago. So I can't even imagine like what that's like. But I just found it to be very interesting because the original article in 2004 ends with her like being like, yeah, this dude's been jerking it in front of me all week long. He's just like so weird. He drags me to all these parties like doing God knows what. And he like hails a cab and he's like, aren't you coming with us? And she like gets in the cab with him. I mean, or maybe she doesn't. I mean, she just writes that. I mean, who knows? But yeah. I just found the article to be very, very interesting and is such an encapsulation of 2004 sexual harassment. Anyway, nonetheless, Charney has been the subject of several sexual harassment lawsuits after that, at least five since the mid-2000s, all of which were settled or dismissed or basically uh, figured out in private arbitration. And due to the fact that employees signed documents revoking all legal claims against Charney or the company, many of these lawsuits have been thrown out by the courts and go through like internal arbitration, whether it be through American Apparel or Dov Charney and and his lawyers. It's important to know that he has never been found guilty, per se, of sexual harassment or sexual assault. But that's, you know, I just said why. He, Charney himself, of course, has maintained his innocence all along, telling CNBC that, quote, allegations that I acted improperly at any time are complete fiction. He accused lawyers in the lawsuits against American Apparel of extortion and, quote, shaking down the company. But, you know, can't keep a fucking white guy with too much money down because by 2017, Charney founded another basics apparel brand called Los Angeles Apparel. So let's get into the rebrand. Let's not call it a comeback because it's barely a soulless rebrand. After they filed for bankruptcy, Argo Apollo left. November 2016, the company laid off 2,400 workers, and they began shutting down factories and closed 110 of their stores. You remember, they had about 140 at their height. Yeah. 
But later that month in November 2016, American Apparel was saved kind of by Gildan Activewear for $88 million. That purchase also included, quote, certain manufacturing equipment, all of their intellectual property. And what they were really after, though, was just the name recognition. After the acquisition, all of American Apparel stores shut down, but the brand wasn't dead. They relaunched the website in August of 2017, and though it looked very much like the old American Apparel, it was under the Gildan hood. The company's first order of business was offering e-commerce to customers and the option to choose between products made in the U.S. or cheaper identical pieces manufactured abroad. A huge, huge shift from American Apparel's original ethos. Right. American Apparel now runs as an online-only retailer and markets itself as, quote, ethically made, sweatshop-free, with most of the apparel made in Central America, primarily in Honduras and Nicaragua. And that is the rise and fall and rebrand of American Apparel. There's just so much so much there that like to your point like the company i think in both instances uh urban outfitters and american apparel these companies started one way i will say american apparel held on to its identity in terms of what the company values were for a much longer time period than uh urban outfitters but it is it is very interesting that you know both of them have you know founders behind them that are enthusiastic are known for you know being innovative and all that but on the flip side have both contributed to some pretty shady, bad things. It's just a reminder of just how how much we allow uh, men to get away with. And just like, I don't know. And just like, I feel like they're the criticisms, you know, that these men, I mean, Dove Charney is no longer at the helm of American Apparel, obviously, but that's because the company and everything was sold off. Like that's, that's different. But, you know, Richard Hain is still very much a part of Urban Outfitters, despite continuing to donate to conservative candidates um, and, you know, continuing to make as a company really bad decisions, like all of those family members are still very much a part of the board. So it's interesting to me. I think it's a, it's a tale of like, I don't know if it's like CEO lessons, but it's like you, uh, if you're ever going to be in that position, I, you know, if I certainly ever found myself in the position being ahead of a company, I think that I would hope that my ego wouldn't get in the way of things. And I would very much listen to having some sort of a mentor, not to say like shitty people with mentors are still shitty people, but you know what I mean? Like just someone there to kind of help you make some decisions and some coaching of what you should and shouldn't do. Well, I would also say that, yeah, Dov Charney isn't in charge of American Apparel anymore, but have you ever looked at Los Angeles Apparel? It's basically it's a, a carbon it's copy. It's a carbon copy. You're it really right. is You're a lot of the right. same shit. I mean, I would say that like the uh, the advertisement or like the the style the vibe and all of that is not as envelope pushy anymore they're they're not really like a ton of like half naked people or, or or even like the reach that american apparel used to have but i mean people are legit always confused like oh is Amer- is los angeles apparel and american apparel two different things the same thing why do they look the same and i mean i still get on occasion like an american apparel um like marketing email. And it really does look just the same. But like I said, there's like no light behind the eyes. There isn't really like that sort of like spark of like you were saying ingenuity or even if you're creating brands like or even if you're creating advertisements that are like controversial or risque, like there's none of that. There's no experimentation. There is yeah. no thinking outside the box. It's very much like here's your favorite T-shirt. Fucking buy it or don't. Yeah. And I think it would just be interesting to see if either brand can te- can stand the test of time the way the original American Apparel did. I don't know. We'll see. Well, 
I think that about wraps it up for controversial clothing brands. And we want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with our new season, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you are feeling generous, you can leave us a five-star review. Again, wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, those are the two I know for sure that can give you, you can leave us a five-star rating. And if you want to keep up with us on the social meds, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And if you want to follow Emily and I individually on Twitter, I am at Marg, she wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.